You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Uh, We're doing a sermon series in Genesis. As you know, we're kind of walking through it for the summer. Um, We are taking our sweet time, and we are getting to... um, a big, large story and portion of this. Uh, if you have any questions at any time, feel free to send them. I have my phone here and should receive them, and I'll do my best to take a look at those at the end. But also, if I don't know, I will let you know, and uh, we'll figure that out. But what I want to start with on this whiteboard is that my whole life is triangles. I think about triangles all the time. Uh, triangles. I'm going to draw one, even though there's one on the board. This is very vulnerable, y'all. And essentially, um, how I think about it, and how I've, I've not invented this. I've got this from other people. Uh, these triangles represent a, a direction, a flow, an area of emphasis. And it can be summarized like this. Up, in, and out. This is my whole life. Up, in, and out. I went to seminary. And our seminary was uh, based around three things. One was academy, this is knowledge, abbey, spiritual formation, out apostolate, being sent as ministers of the word to the world. This is how I preach, head, heart, and hands, huh? My whole life, we built our church around this. So our church is called The Table for three reasons, because we have a triple S emphasis, And so the first one is worship, which is, we call it Sunday, Sunday worship. It is symbolized by this table. Uh, The second emphasis for us is small groups. It's emphasized by your kitchen or coffee tables. And the third emphasis is service, Sunday, small group, service. And this one's emphasized by this beautiful plateau we have here called Table Mountain. It represents the community that we want to serve. I think about triangles all the time. And I think this gives us a pattern for how to understand the Bible, how to understand biblical stories. It helps us uh, get a grasp on the way that God works in our world. Um, It gives us a grasp on the way uh, God's grace flows to us. A couple rules with triangles. It it should almost always start at the top. It should almost always end at the out. This, they say, is the direction of grace. It starts with God. It gets to us, whether that's you as an individual or us as a church community. And it should go out into the world. Sometimes people start here. And that gets them all kinds of mixed up, right? Because they go, well, maybe if I work hard enough, God will be proud of me and bless me or something like that. Or sometimes it goes this way. If I can figure out what I'm supposed to do, then I'll figure out who I am. And God will be proud of me and bless me. The other thing I want to add to this is I think about this all the time and I preach about it regularly. The first one is identity and the second one is mission. This is probably identity. This is mission. 
They always go hand in hand. Sometimes we want to start with mission, but the flow of grace tells us we need to start with identity. I, I think this whole triangle thing explains a lot. Uh, so let's, let's figure this out with where we are so far in the Genesis story. I practiced this last night, and my whiteboard was not being as difficult. So Genesis 1, triangle. What do we know? God, it starts with God, created the heavens and the earth, created all of creation, and created us. Us, and we are given identity markers right away. We are made in the image. I'm not going to type all this out or write all this out. Type. We're made in the image and likeness of God. That's our identity. Identity. And then our mission is to what? Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. When we get this mixed up and we go backwards, it gets out of, of whack because it doesn't follow the flow of grace. Also, their mission was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And what did they do? They did it. Genesis 2, triangle. Again, oh, that's not a triangle. Now I'm getting nervous. You guys got me stressed out. Genesis 2 starts with God again. And then God forms humanity and breathes into us that we become these royally divine co-rulers with God. And their mission is to not eat. Don't eat. What do they do? They eat. It almost always gets mixed up here because this is God's portion. This is God's portion in us. So this is God's work in the world. This is God's work in us. And this is our work on the world. And it always gets messed up with us. Genesis 3. Cain and Abel come to worship. Ooh, they have an up moment. They come to worship. Yeah? And God accepts Abel's worship. There's this identity, there's an acceptance, there's a belonging, but does not accept Cain's, but comes and has a conversation with Cain and says, hey, sin is trying to get a hold of you. Don't let it. It's like a wild animal out your front door and it's ready to leap. And what's their, uh, their, their job here is uh, to be in brothers with one another. And Cain... Because his worship isn't accepted, he thinks to make this right between God and himself, he needs to get rid of his brother, right? If his brother is missing, maybe this will be good. But it gets messed up here again. And what God tells us in Genesis chapter 3 is that you cannot have a relationship with God without loving your brother or sister or neighbor. God refuses to have a world where you can get rid of your uh, other and only keep God. We get the Lamechs, and the Lamechs have their own stories, but ultimately we get to Noah, and it begins this way. God is heartbroken, but God has a plan to save the world. He's going to flood it, and he's going to destroy every human being on the earth, except Noah is righteous and blameless above all else. Identity. Yeah? Yeah? And so uh, Noah's job then is to bring rest or relief from the curse. That's what his name means. 
And Noah gets off the boat and he has a worshiping moment where he builds an altar and he worships God. He's got an up thing going on. And he builds a vineyard. He leans into his identity as the new Adam. That's what he's supposed to be as the new Adam. And then he's supposed to bring rest and relief and he's supposed to uh, fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And he curses his children and dooms all of humanity with it. It always gets messed up here. Then we got to Tower of Babel, right? Am I skipping anything? Tower of Babel, they want to build a tower so they can make a name for themselves, and so God will not scatter them over the face of the earth. It does not start with God. God is not rarely mentioned in the story. It starts down here with their identity. They want to make an identity for themselves. They want, to make an identity, they want to make a name for themselves, so they build a tower, so they don't have to fill the earth and multiply it, as God said, and God comes down and is not happy and scatters them among the face of the earth anyways and gives them a different language. This ain't get all messed up, because it doesn't begin with God, it begins with themselves, it begins with them trying to create their own identity, and this where God tells them to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They said, we're building this tower so we don't have to fill the earth and multiply because we want God to come down here and bless us and make our name great and we don't want to move. We want to stay right here right now. This whole thing gets messed up. And this is Genesis 1 through 11. And it's a spiral. Every story leads us further and further down till we get to the bottom of human depravity, of just leaving God out of the picture or trying to manipulate God for their own good, trying to totally usurp the original mission, trying to create an identity for themselves and not trusting God to do that with the flow of the grace that is the triangle, not starting with God, but starting with themselves. This is Genesis 1 through 11. Remember with Noah, the humans, the world was so wicked and depraved, God was heartbroken, but then God promised to never to destroy it again, and so God has to come up with a new plan, a new direction, a new way, a salvation opportunity for this creation because he said he wasn't going to wipe it out again. And he comes up with our friend Abraham. That's where we are today, the calling of Abraham and Sarah. This is who, how he's going to save the world. Everything's wicked and depraved, and humans are totally trying to manipulate God for their own, their own good and their own meaning, and God has to come up with a new salvation plan because he promised he wasn't going to wipe it out anymore, and so he comes up with this guy, Abraham. Genesis 12, the beginning of the salvation story. Here it is, just four verses, but I want to give you a background. You can't read that. That's fine. I totally get it, but I want to give you the context. <laughs> The first two paragraphs are the Tower of Babel. And then it says, these are Shem's descendants. Do you remember Shem? Shem was Noah's son. Remember, he had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, these are Shem's descendants. Not that you need to know and not that it's important to the story, but Shem is where we get the word Semitic or Semite. Like when someone's anti-Semitic, they're an they're, they hate Jewish people. Uh, the, the original belief was that Shem's descendants are the ones who populated the Middle East. These are Shem's descendants, and it goes down, it goes down, it goes down, and it gets to a man named Terah, and Terah is the father of Abraham, called Abram until he gets a new name. 
Yeah, so that's where we are. And this is the calling. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Avram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. If you're paying attention to the triangle, you see it already. Oh, I'm back. Identity, mission, it's back at the top. These are my points. These are my three points. Head, heart, hands. It's there. Starts with God. God said something about Abraham. God asks Abraham to do something. Head, heart, hands. If you know how I preach, this is how I preach. We are going to do it. Let me move this a little bit. But I do want you to stare at a triangle the entire time. What does God want us to know from this story, from Abraham's own story? What the Bible wants us to know is that God is so faithful. We just saw Genesis 1 through 11. We just saw how awful humans can be. And though we think we're pretty great, or at least not that bad, we know that humans can be pretty awful. We see elements of Genesis 1 through 11 in our neighbors and our friends and our communities around us, and it is awful. It is bad. People are manipulative. They are self-centered and selfish. They are sinful, uh, not great. And all of that stuff that we see is present within our own hearts, as we talked about a few weeks ago. But what this story wants to communicate to us is that God is so faithful And how I want to illustrate that, and what I think is being illustrated by this point, is why Abraham? Why is Abraham and Sarah called at all? And the Bible tells us absolutely zero reasons. We get it with Noah. Noah is the most blameless man to walk on the earth. He's the most righteous among his generation. Why Abraham? Zero character description about who this Abraham guy is. We get a little bit of description about who his family is. We get a little bit of description that they're getting ready to move but absolutely zero description about who he is. In fact, the remarkable thing about Abraham and Sarah is that they are so unremarkable. They are nobodies from nowhere. And this is who God has chosen to save the world through. That Abraham would become the father of many nations. The three biggest religions in the world all push, put, put their beginning back with Abraham. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. This is the guy. This is the guy, and there's nothing remarkable about him in the least bit. Doesn't say that he's righteous. Doesn't say that he's blameless. Doesn't say that he's faithful. I mean, he, he does become faithful at the very end, which is for our next sermon. Hold on to that. Uh, but he's completely unremarkable. It reminds me of all these characters. I love Kung Fu Panda, as you know. I mention it often. Completely unremarkable. The whole movie is they're like, this is the dumbest, biggest idiot who's ever lived, and he's the guy who's going to save the world, and then he does. Or Beverly Hills Ninja, you know, this is uh, Chris Fartley. This is a, it was a great movie when I was a kid. He literally has a line where he's like, I may not be the best ninja, and I may not be one with the universe, but nobody messes with my brothers. Like, and then he, he saves the world, or whatever, his world. Or every episode of Inspector Gadget I've ever seen. It just 
thinks he's so smart and he just like blindly walks around and it's just like his it's his like preteen daughter who's like saving the day the whole time and that dog brain oh is his niece it's not even his daughter that explains she got good genes from somewhere else or this clip from the Lego movie. Uh, the main character is just an average, ordinary nobody, and they go into his brain. Oh, here it is. It's a middle guy. And Lucy and I forget his name, Vitruvius or whatever, go into his brain to like, I don't know what they're doing, but what they find is absolutely nothing. And he, uh, he's, the, he's the hero. Whoa, are we inside my brain right now? It's big. I must be smart. Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing a lot of activity here. I don't think he's ever had an original thought in his life. <laughs> That's not true. For instance, one time I wanted to have a bunch of my friends over to watch TV, not unlike this TV that just showed up magically, and not everybody can fit on my one couch, and I thought to myself, well, what if there was such a thing as a bunk bed, but as a couch? Introducing the double-decker couch, so everyone could watch TV together and be buddies. That is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Please, Feinstein, let me handle this. That idea is just the worst. We get it. We get the trope. The trope is present in our, in our everyday life. That sometimes, and by the way, not to spoil the move for you, you should see it, it's wonderful, but um, the double-decker couch saves the day. Um... <laughs> We get it. The trope is in our, in our everyday life. It's that these unremarkable nobodies are the ones being used or able to save the world. And that's what's going on here. But ultimately what that does for me in this story, this holy scriptural story, is points back to the faithfulness of God. That God does not leave us in our Genesis 11 Tower of Babel spiraled down into total depravity and awfulness. He does not leave us there, but comes up with a new plan. And not through anybody. If I was making the plan, I'd find the most remarkable person on the planet to try to help me. But God has probably Matt. Uh, <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll do it. Uh, but he finds this nobody from nowhere that's almost 100 years old uh, and unable to have children, and somehow this is going to be the, this, this is going to be the person that God uses to save the whole world. This is God's salvation plan through and through. If you want a big $50 sentence uh, from theology, they call it the scandal of particularity. It just means that like God chooses to work through very particular people and things. In this instance, God chooses Abraham from among all of the ancient people and no one else. And God chooses Israel from all of the ancient peoples. Israel is, is Abraham's offspring. And no one else. And God chooses Jesus and no one else. This is a scandal of particularity. That God chooses someone, anyone, to be the one through whom which God is going to save the whole world. And Abraham and Sarah aren't chosen for any other reason than just because God wanted to. And what God wants us to know is that God is faithful and will not abandon us to the messes of our own making. Yeah? That's what I think God wants us to know. It always starts with God. It always starts with God. It always starts up and it always starts. If it's good, if it's good, it's going to start with God. What does God want us to feel in 
What does God want us to feel inside of us? What is God doing with this whole identity thing? This is where identity comes from. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I hope you see the parallel from the Tower of Babel. Even though they're different chapters, the Tower of Babelites wanted to make a name for themselves. And you flip the page one, and God says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. The thing they wanted was good, but they tried to do it themselves. They tried to start here without God. Flip the page, and God says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. What I think God wants us to feel is that God's first word to us is always one of identity and closeness. God's first word is always identity to us. It's always closeness. It's always relationship. It's always, always, always about proximity to God, intimacy. I can go through a hundred stories where I think this is true. Uh, The one I'm thinking of now is when Jesus calls his first disciples. And he says, come, follow me. Closeness. And I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people or you'll be fisher people or whatever it is. Right? That's the mission. The identity is come follow me. It's closeness. The mission is I'll make you fishers of people. And there's just a million stories like that. I just, God's first word to us is always, always. The other one that comes to mind is I am the vine. You are the branches. Identity. Abide in me and you will produce much fruit. Up and out. It's just there over and over again and it's in our own story. So God's first word to us is always identity. It's always closeness. I will, I, that's up, will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, a curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abram went, just as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. God speaks a word of identity first. There is mission there and we're going to get to that. But it's always identity first. Mission is rooted in identity. We work out of who we are. We work out of who we are. We don't work for our rest. We rest. There's all kinds of stuff going on. He says, I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to give you a great name. And I'm going to give you blessing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Quickly, what is blessing? The Hebrew word is barak. The Greek word is eulogeo which means good word. Uh, In general, it means that God views us favorably and with joy, but that is uh, far too general. This is my Old Testament professor. He's a short little Italian guy that just has forgotten more about the Bible than I'll ever know. And uh, he has a podcast actually called uh, The Bible You Thought You Knew. This is how he thinks he's pretty cool. And he is. This is the problem as he is. He says, blessing is a comprehensive enhancement of all that makes life good. This is what God promises to Abraham and ultimately to us, is that God's going to bless us. He's going to make our life great. He's going to make our name great. Goodness is coming. But if I were to make it a little more um, detailed, I would say that it's about becoming part of God's own people, about becoming part of God's own compassion, concern, and action. We are, as blessed people, being brought into God's sphere of care and concern. We're being brought in. This is what blessing is. It's an identity about who we are, but because we are being brought into closeness with God. But ultimately, God speaks of identity first. 
because I think it is the most important part of what's going on. And when we get a settled identity, uh, everything else is going to be so good. It reminds me of this story that I read a couple years ago. This is, um, this is called a Madonna. They call it the Haddo Madonna because it came from this house in Scotland. Essentially, uh, they thought this was a knockoff of a Raphael, and the people who owned this house 100 years ago bought it for $26 or something like that. And then a guy went through and appraised all the art in the house, and he goes, that's a real Raphael, and not the Ninja Turtles one. Rude but crude or cool or whatever, but definitely the one from the 1500s. Who knows better art better than I do? So what they bought for $26 is now worth $26 million, which is why it stuck with me. I was like, 26 to 26 million, that is just too good. That's like perfect. And what's the difference? It's the same painting, but now we know who painted it. We know the identity of the person who painted it. The only thing that's different is the identity is settled. And it's worth went from what I, you know, a few bucks to millions and millions of dollars. God wants you to have a settled identity. Knowing whose you are and who you are. And this is going to change everything. And I know, I think you want a settled identity too. I know it's something that I've been working with for a very long time of like trying to be confident in my relationship with God and my relation and who I am myself. But it's something that def God desperately wants to speak over you and something that God wants you to believe. And so far in our story, what has God said about us? That you are royally divine creation created in the image and likeness of God, formed by the hands of God, brought to life by the breath of God, who is also now, we are also now part of fallen creation in desperate need of salvation which God is bringing about through the blessing of Abraham and Sarah. You're pretty amazing. And once you know whose you are and who you are, everything else will flow from that. What does God want us to do with our hands? What's the mission to our identity? God speaks identity first, that first word of relationship, and then out into mission. And then this one, in this story, the mission is that we are blessed to be a blessing. I don't know if you heard that first, but it literally comes from this passage, so I have to say it by law, by ecclesial law. You have to say it. The Pope said so. You, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in all that blessing and cursing in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the mission. God is going to give us this identity of chosenness and closeness and blessing and greatness, not just so that we can be chosen and blessed and great, but so that it can be spilled out onto the rest of the world because the original mission was to be fruitful and multiply and take that image and likeness that God created us in and spread it over the face of creation so that all of creation would know that God is the God of the universe. And we failed in that mission. And so God is starting with Abraham again. He's going to make him great. He's going to make him a blessing so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And any blessing we get is only to be shared. We are blessed to be a blessing. Israel knows this. They sing about it in their own hymnals called the Psalms. They said, Lord, grant us grace and bless us. Let God make his face shine on us, say law, so that your way becomes known on earth. 
so that your salvation becomes known among all the nations. Israel knew this. They said, we know the God of the universe. He has chosen us, and we are chosen so that we can bless others. And where does it always mess up? They forgot. They forgot that they were blessed to be a blessing. They failed in their mission. And God brought about the fulfillment of his plan. They forgot. And we still have that same commission that we are blessed to be a blessing. Israel, Israel knows this, and we know this too, that we are given an identity to be a blessing. No one's going to say this? Thank you. I appreciate it. What does this have to do with us, Pastor James? We are Abraham's offspring. Yeah. We are... Yeah. <laughs> we are Jews, right? The Jews are Abraham's offspring through the chosen child of Isaac and Jacob. What does this have to do with us? Well, Paul gives this big, long argument. You can see it all right here. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to read this. No, his argument is... His argument is that God gave Abraham a promise to him and to his offspring. And he says offspring here is singular. And Israel failed to live out the mission of this. And so it gets fulfilled in Jesus Christ, this promise, who is Abraham's direct descendant through many generations. And then those of us who are in Christ by faith are now the inheritance of the blessing and the mission. Of the identity and the mission. This is Galatians 3 if you want to read it. Jesus fulfills it. And those of us who are in Christ receive the same identity. And we receive the same mission. And where is it always going to mess up? It doesn't mess up on God's part in the world. And God doesn't mess up on giving us a good identity and working it in us. It's going to mess up with us, right? It's going to mess up with us. But we still receive it. The promises to Abraham have never gone away, Paul claims. They are fulfilled in Jesus and all his followers. This is one of my favorite theologians, Jürgen Moltmann. Uh, he talks about blessing on a national level, right? All the families of the earth. He says, but whether God blesses America will become apparent when it emerges, whether America is a blessing for the peoples of the world or their burden or curse. For one is blessed in order to be a blessing oneself. On an individual level, this is Henry Nouwen, one of my favorites, Henri, uh, he's a, from the Netherlands. He's a uh, Harvard psychologist, priest. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. Let us at least realize that blessed fruits need to be shared. Otherwise, the blessing turns into a curse. What does God want you to do? Whatever blessing you receive, you have to share because we are blessed to be a blessing and we don't want to. You are naturally bent because of all that stuff we saw in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 to want to hold it and hoard it and make sure our identity stays intact and we want to create something great for ourselves. But what Abraham teaches us is that God wants to create something great for us and the only condition is, is that we have to share it. And if you don't share it, you lose it. This is the example from the entire Old Testament of Israel. If you don't share it, you lose it. And I'm telling you, telling you, God will also cause you to lose it as well if you are not sharing it. Questions? Conclusion? Wrap this up. I didn't see any come in.
So if I don't get any, um, uh, I'm going to start preaching some more. Somebody's asking about the nature of blessings, and they said, are you talking about finances and material things as well? And I would say, yes, that that's included, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Part of blessing included financial and material things, and I think that would carry over into the New Testament too. Abraham is a good example for us. He's the first person to tithe. He gives 10% of his, <clears throat> his, all his stuff, everything, not just money, but goats and animals, and he was very wealthy at the time, and this random king of Salem comes in, and uh, it's God. It's God, everybody. Uh, and Abraham gives him 10% of everything, and also cooks a meal for him, and, and then that guy wants to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a great story. You should read it. It comes up pretty quickly. So I would say that that's included. Certainly, uh, that we read the psalm today that um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so whatever we've received, even financially material, would be something that God uh, would want us to share. And as I always talk about when I talk about finances, that does not necessarily mean give to the church. In fact, uh, primarily in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that meant share with the people around you, especially those who, who need it. So that is not a pitch to give more money to this organization as much as it is a pitch to just live a life of generosity. Thank you for the question. Wrapping this up. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So Abram went just as the Lord told him, but Lot went with him. Who's Lot? Lot is his nephew from his brother Haran. What's he supposed to do? Leave his father's house and he takes Lot with him. God says, go to the land that I will show you. Here's your mission. You have to leave everything, including your father's house. And where does Abraham mess it up? Right off the bat, this salvation story gets messed up because Abraham takes Lot with him not supposed to take anyone from his father's house. He's supposed to go from his father. He takes Lot with him. And let me tell you, Lot shows up in three big stories, and every time Lot messes up everything, every single time. So right off the bat, God's salvation plan has this human element, and the human element gets in, it creeps in, and messes it up right where it always gets messed up. And I just say that because that's where you're going to get messed up too. Keep that in mind, that God has good things for you. It goes in this direction, but you're going to get hung up right there. The mission part is where it gets messed up by ignoring or disobeying or getting it out of order. And I just hope that you can, you and Jesus can figure that out. My last bit here is Jesus has brought about salvation and has an incredible identity for you too. And he has a wonderful purpose, adventure, and mission for you as well. And I pray that we can lean into that in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workspace. Let's summarize. God is faithful and rescues and redeems us. God's first word to us is always about relationship and identity. And God's second word to us is mission, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Because God wants to be known as our Father, but our Father is the King. 
there's a closeness, and there's a mission. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the story that we get to see the beginning plans of your salvation efforts for humanity, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not left us, but we also get to apply this directly to our own lives because we are heirs of this promise. We are heirs of the promise that you have for us, that you will bless us and that you will make our name great. But you ask that we share the stuff that we receive. So Father, help us. Help us to be generous people. Help us to recognize that flow of grace that the more we give, the more we receive. It is your heart. It is your desire that all should come to know you, to be blessed by you, to receive what you have. And that you bring us into the mix of that at all is overwhelming and honoring. Help us. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your help. We have all those proclivities to be focused inwardly, to be focused on the self, to be focused on ours and the people that are close to us. Give us eyes to see the blessing that you're giving us and give us eyes to see the people that you want us to share it with. And we will be faithful to give you the glory and the praise. Table Church, will you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily